Passover meal. Okay? Very important for you to get that. So, again, verse 26, Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, break it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. He took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, or the new testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Pray that you would inspire me to teach it, God, tonight to your people. Inspire them to receive it and to hear it, Father, we pray. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. For your word is already anointed in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay. When we look at the Lord's Supper and other practices of the church, uh, it falls in two categories basically, okay? As far as the church is concerned, as to what it's called. Sometimes these, like the Lord's Supper, baptism, other practices, those two particularly, the Lord's Supper and baptism, okay, are more Protestant. When I say Protestant, what I mean by that is that Protestants, that means non-Catholic churches, say they have two practices that they're willing to call sacraments. And the two practices as far as the uh, Protestant churches are concerned that are called sacraments, they call them sacraments, is the Lord's Supper and water baptism. Okay? Now, in the Catholic Church, they've got seven, seven sacraments. So let me go through them and I'll explain to you what a sacrament is in a moment. But for the Catholic Church, they have confirmation, penance, ordination, marriage, last rites, baptism, and the Eucharist. So the Catholic, the Catholic Church says they have seven sacraments. Are you with me up to this point? Whereas the Protestant church will say, well, we have two, the Lord's Supper and baptism. They call them sacraments. Well, let's define the word sacrament. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a Latin word that comes from sacramentum. It means an oath or allegiance or a vow. Originally, it was something that a Roman soldier took as he was entering into the Roman army. So let me say again, a sacrament, coming from the Latin sacramentum, means a vow, basically, that you would take. It's a pledge of allegiance. Now, the second term is ordinance. Say ordinance. Now, an ordinance basically is something that the church does in, out of obedience to the Lord. It is memorial. It's representative or it's symbolic. Whereas a sacrament, especially in the Roman Catholic mind, is imparting some type of saving grace when you participate in that. Okay? So we talk about a sacrament then versus an ordinance. 
A sacrament is believed to impart some kind of saving grace in the life of the individual as they are participating in that. Okay? Ordinance again, it doesn't impart anything, any saving grace. It is just memorial. It's just representative. It's just symbolic. So, now I know I probably already put you to sleep because when we start talking about big terms like sacrament or sacramentum and we talk about ordinance, we have a tendency just to shut the whole service down because for some reason we don't like big terms like that. You know, you want me to get right to the meat and you want me to scream and shout and run and, and all of that. But hey amen, let's, let's try to learn a little bit. So do you understand the difference between a sacrament from the perspective of the church versus an ordinance? A sacrament then is supposed to impart some saving grace into the life of the individual where an ordinance does not do that. It's only memorial, symbolic, and representative. Okay? You with me here? Very important for you to understand that. And today I was talking with a man uh, who goes to a church in Midland and we got into talking about ordinances and he used the term ordinance. Well, I thank God I had been studying because when he said ordinance, it, I wouldn't have known what he was talking about if I hadn't been studying. So as soon as he talked about ordinance, and I said, oh yeah, now I can have an educated conversation with this man. You know, Praise the Lord. So does everybody understand then? Sacrament is, in the church's viewpoint, something that is imparting a saving grace into the life of an individual where an ordinance is what? It's only symbolic. Representative. Praise God. Are y'all here with me up to this point? Okay. So again, for uh, Catholic, the Catholic Church, they got seven, and I've already given those to you. For the Baptist Church or Protestant churches as a whole, they would say they've got two sacraments, and that is what? Water baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, what is the authorization to call something a sacrament or to call something or to say something has life giving grace in it. Where would you get the authorization to, to call something that the church does or practices a, a sacrament? Well, you'd have to have the authorization of the Scripture, right? You'd have to have the authorization of the Word of God. You would have to have the practice of that within the church itself, and you would have to be commanded to do that in the Word of the Lord. Okay? Okay, say praise the Lord. Alright, again, so everybody with me? How many sacraments does the Roman Catholic system have? Seven. How many do Protestants say they're willing to, to claim two? Two. Two sacraments. Okay, what are they? And the Lord's Supper, correct? Alright, well we're going to learn a lot tonight. I hope you do anyway, praise God. So you pray for me and I'll do my best to teach you. When we come to the Lord's Supper the Roman Catholic Church and other churches will say that it is a sacrament. That means that it is imparting a saving grace into the life of the person. Others will teach that it's only symbolic, it's only memorial, it only represents something. Now, let's look at what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. And this is where the interpretation comes in. Alright, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, break it, gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. Notice this. 
This is my body. What did Jesus say it was? That bread? He said, this is my body. You with me? Okay, now notice what he says about the cup. The Bible says he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood. So, when we take the, now we can call it the Lord's Supper, or we can call it communion based on the Scripture. Those are two biblical terms. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's called the communion. In chapter 11, it's called the Lord's Supper. So we have biblical foundation to call it communion or the Lord's Supper. So anyway, when we take the Lord's Supper then, and we've got the fruit of the vine, and we've got the bread here, is it literally His body and literally His blood physically, in a physical way? Well, well, Jesus said right there, this is my body. Jesus said, this is my blood. And what was He talking about? The bread and the fruit of the vine and the cup. He said, this is my bread, uh, this is my body, and this is my blood. Okay? Alright, so, then when people read that, they have different views. And I'm going to give you four, and we make and call uh, another one a fifth view. Uh, another one I'll give you tonight, a fifth view. Okay? How do you interpret what Jesus said about the bread and the fruit of the vine when He said, this is my body and this is my blood? First view. In uh, the Roman Catholic Church, they believe that the fruit of the vine, which I believe in their um, practice of it, it's actual wine. But I'll just say for your understanding, the fruit of the vine, they believe that when the priest prays over that bread and prays over that wine, that it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus physically. That you are actually coming in contact with Jesus' body and Jesus' blood on a physical level. It's called transubstantiation. Now, but it only happens when the priest prays over it. Let's say if somebody wasn't a priest in the Roman Catholic Church and they had bread and they had wine and they wanted to observe the Lord's Supper, which by the way they call the Eucharist, they call it the Mass, okay? Communion. If just a normal person in their system were to take that bread and that fruit of the vine and give it to somebody, they believe that it's still bread and it's still the fruit of the vine. That it has to be a priest. A Roman Catholic priest has to take it and pray over it. And then when that priest prays over it, it literally changes, transubstantiation, that it's really substantial, okay? That it is trans, it's changing from the bread and the wine when that prayer takes place 
so that when, in that view, they take the body or they take the blood, the fruit of the vine or the bread, they believe they are literally ingesting Jesus. Let me say it again. Literally ingesting His body and literally ingesting His blood. But they are very quick to tell you that it is not a re-sacrificing of the Lord. That He's not being sacrificed again when they do that. Okay? Everything I've told you is completely 100% accurate. You can talk to any Catholic priest. They will tell you what I just said to you is completely accurate. Okay? So they interpret then where Jesus said about the bread and the fruit of the vine where He said, this is my body and this is my blood. They interpret that to be literal and physical. That something supernatural takes place when that priest prays over those elements that literally causes it to turn into the physical, say with me, the physical presence of Jesus. Are you with me here? And they believe that literally they are ingesting Jesus in a physical way and that they are coming in contact with Him at that moment. Okay, So it's a supernatural, it's a miracle they say that takes place. But it is not a re-sacrificing of Jesus. It's a celebration of His death. Okay, that's called transubstantiation. Alright. The next view is the Lutheran view. Now, I was raised from a little boy uh, in a Lutheran church. I went through catechism, confirmation, and all of that. Amen. And I learned a lot of good things uh, in the Lutheran church. A lot of wonderful things about Jesus, His death, His burial, His resurrection. I learned a lot of good things in the Lutheran church. Um, but their view is consubstantiation. Now that now listen to me. The word con, where does it come from? Consubstantiation. Amen. Well, the Lutheran the Luther, when you read Luther's writing on the Lord's Supper, he says, in the elements, with the elements, and under. In with and under. So the word con literally means in. So consubstantiation. Now I don't want to bore you tonight, but the Lutheran viewpoint on the elements is very, very similar to the view of the Roman Catholic Church. They believe it's not transubstantiation. It doesn't, they don't believe in a miracle, that a miracle takes place uh, at the table with the elements of bread and the fruit of the vine. They don't believe a miracle takes place, but they just say that the physical presence of Jesus is in the bread and in the wine as the priest or the pastor prays over it in the name of the Lord. When he prays over it in the name of the Lord, the Lutheran church teaches consubstantiation, consubstantiation which means that it's in, with, and under the elements. Now that's what Luther said himself. And he believed that it produced a renewal of forgiveness. Now the Catholic Church, transubstantiation, what is the benefit for those who receive it in the Catholic Church? 
The Catholic Church believes that it is a, um, a receiving of grace, a benefit of grace to the faithful. In, Rome, in the Lutheran aspect of it, it's still real, it's still physical, it's not a miracle that takes place. And what happens to the person who receives it in the Lutheran understanding is that they receive a renewal of forgiveness of sins. They receive a cleansing that takes place. They receive a strength to the inner man. So on and so forth. Now, these things that I'm telling you come right out of Luther's words. His own words. The problem is is that the people who study the Lord's Supper, and I'm talking about doctrines, doctors of theology, okay? When they read Luther's statements, they will tell you very quickly, I don't have a clue what he means. When he says, in, with, and under, don't really totally understand what he means by that. Okay? So, anyway. But, just to explain to you, the Lutheran view on the Lord's Supper is that the physical presence of the Lord is in those elements. It's not a miracle that takes place, but nonetheless, He's there. Okay, so there's a little difference between transubstantiation and consubstantiation, uh, but not a lot. Alright? Say amen. amen. Praise God. And again, Luther teaches that it brings a renewal of forgiveness of sins, it brings cleansing, and it brings strength to the inner man. Now, the third view is what is called the Reformed view. And this this moves into um, like uh, Zwingli, okay, in the time of the Reformation, Luther. I've already told you what Luther believes. The Reformed view or the time of the Reformation, Zwingli. What they believed. Are y'all here with me? Uh, but we'll get into that in just a moment. Okay, I'll move to Zwingli in just a moment because he was he had the view of memorial. You with me here? But the Reformed view teaches that the presence of the Lord is there spiritually. Say spiritually. Not like in the Catholic view or the Lutheran view where He's physically there. They say He's there spiritually. That's the Reformed view. Now, let me explain a little bit to you what that means spiritually. They believe in the Reformed view that when you take these elements of the bread and the fruit of the vine, that when you do, the Spirit of God takes you up into heaven. uh, And you are present with the Lord in heaven spiritually, when you take the Lord's Supper. So for them, there is a real presence of the Lord that's there, but it it is a catching up of the believer spiritually by the Spirit into the presence of the Lord in heaven, and there they have fellowship with Jesus. Okay, you with me? Now, the fourth view, Zwingli, and, and I don't like to just put say it's a Baptist view, because there's many evangelicals that hold on to this view. That unlike the, uh, the view the Catholic has where you have the physical body and blood of Jesus, and when you take that, it's uh, important to use some grace. You know, the Luther says, Lutheran says, it imparts or releases a renewal 
of forgiveness of sins, cleansing, so on and so forth. When you come to the other view, which is Zwingli, Baptist, many other churches, it's more of an ordinance, not a sacrament. Okay? Now what that means is that it's viewed when Jesus said, this is my body, uh, talking about the bread, and when He said, this is my blood, talking about the fruit of the vine, that it's symbolic of His body and symbolic of His blood. And they point out correctly that when Jesus said, this is my body, talking about the bread, and this is my blood, talking about the fruit of the vine, He was sitting there with them. So how could it literally literally be the physical body of Jesus and the physical blood of Jesus when He's sitting there with them? Okay? So then, the idea then that the, the bread and the fruit of the vine represents or is symbolic uh, or is a memorial of His body and His blood comes from that viewpoint. Now that, that is, and I'm not trying to sway you, I want you to use your own mind. And as we get into the Word of the Lord, I'm going to try to prove by the Word of the Lord what we believe. So I'm going to let the Word of God teach you. So I am not going to try to persuade you by my opinion. I'm going to go to the Word of God and I'm, we're going to look at it. What is the truth? But my opinion is, okay, if you want it for what it's worth, is that it does not have the physical body and physical blood of Jesus in the elements. Okay? So unlike transubstantiation, the Roman Catholic doctrine, or consubstantiation, the Lutheran doctrine, I don't believe that. Alright? I believe that the elements are symbolic, representative, and memorial of His body and His blood. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Now, that's what most Protestant churches believe. Now, what about us Pentecostals? I mean, we want to talk about us Pentecostals. Because we got to have our own category, you know. If we're not Catholic and we're not Protestant, then what are we? Well, we're Pentecostal. Well, what do we believe as Pentecostals? I mean, uh, various, if you're in a denomination called Pentecost, a denominational church called Pentecost, then what is the teaching of those particular denominations? What do they believe about the Lord's Supper? Well, uh, I'm Pentecostal, praise the Lord. I'm apostolic, and I'm Pentecostal, and not a denomination, but an experience. But when you talk about what is the denominational viewpoint of Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostal movement, what do they believe about these elements? They believe the uh, fourth view that the elements of the bread and the fruit of the vine are symbolic, representative, and memorial. That they are not actually the body and blood of Jesus, but there's something added to it. And now I've got your attention. Because you want to know what us Pentecostals have added to the view. Well, maybe I'll tell you sometime. I'll tell you now. All right. And I believe it's accurate that whenever 
we take the Lord's Supper. It is representative of His body and blood. It's symbolic and it's memorial of what He did for us. Amen. And in providing a new covenant for us. And we're celebrating the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ when we take it. But we also believe that when you take this supper, and I keep pointing down here because that's normally where we put it, that healing takes place in the body. Because Jesus, He was, the Bible talks about He was whipped with a cat of nine tails 39 times. Amen. 40 times saved one. And why was He beaten like that? The Bible is very clear. It was for the healing of our bodies. So when we take His, takes the Lord's Supper, the bread which represents His body, we believe that there is healing in it as well. And what happens to us, amen, as we take it, it is memorial, it's representative, it's symbolic. It causes us to remember what He did for us on Calvary. Amen? It gives us a realization of how much He loved us. It, it, it teaches that a, a new covenant has been established and He... He has established a new covenant. We're celebrating the victory that Jesus has won through His death. And we believe, now listen to me carefully, even though the elements themselves are not the physical, literal physical body of Jesus, we believe because we're filled with the Holy Ghost that when we take that bread and that fruit of the vine, that the Holy Ghost uses it. Praise the Lord uses it to strengthen the inner man and uses it as we take it to heal our bodies. Amen? So something supernatural does happen, but it's not in the elements. It's as we take it by faith and we remember what the Lord has done for us, we believe that we're receiving healing in our bodies. Amen? That our inner man is being strengthened by the power of the Holy Ghost. Does that make sense? So that, that's what we believe. That's what I believe. And that's the way I administer the Lord's Supper. Hallelujah. Okay? So then when we look at what Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, Jesus is sitting there physically so it could not have been literal to those disciples. It had to make sense that it was symbolic. Okay? So are we biblical up to this point? How many of y'all believe we're biblical? Okay, amen. I hope so. I want to be biblical. Alright, let's go over then into the Old Testament. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's go to Matthew 26 again. Because I need to explain to you what is happening here. Amen. Let's find out what the Bible says. So don't agree with me too quickly. Now, now, first of all, before I get into the Bible, let's talk about those views. The view is from the, the Roman Catholic Church is we have bread, right? All, all the views I've just shared with you is that the bread somehow, either symbolically or literally, is, is the body of Jesus Christ. Symbolically or literally. Amen? 
They all practice that. Uh, recognize the cup is the blood of Jesus, either symbolically or literally. So we have a cup. That's We're in common with that, right? All views recognize that when that bread is taken and it's torn, it represents Jesus dying a horrific death for us. All views believe that. So we're real similar in what we believe about taking the Lord's Supper. The only difference really is, does it impart salvation to us? Or is it symbolic, memorial, amen, representative? That's the difference. Matthew 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. Nothing unusual. I want you to understand that. What they are doing here, with Jesus with His disciples, He is having a Passover meal with them. He's not instituting a new meal. It is the Passover. And when Jesus takes that bread, Amen, as He did here, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to His disciples. Now put yourself at the table with those disciples. Were they thinking when Jesus did that, the Lord's starting something new here? Would it have come into their mind that the Lord is establishing a new institution here? No, it would not even cross their mind because this would have been happening in every Passover meal in Jerusalem. This is not the Lord's Supper that is taking place here. It's the Passover. And the Lord is eating the last Passover with His disciples before He dies and He takes that bread, He breaks it, and He blesses it. Amen? And He gives it to His disciples. Just a part of the normal process of celebrating the Passover. All right, all right. But this is what would have been different. When He gave them that bread, when He says, this is My body, that would have got their attention. That's what would have been different. Because that would not have been done in the preceding Passover observations until that night. Okay? What, is, what would have been happening is the taking of the bread, amen, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it to them. That would have been something that had happened hundreds and hundreds of years. Amen? But what was new that night, what would have got the disciples' attention was when Jesus said, this is my body. Okay? Now, then the Bible says He's going to take this cup. Scripture says, He took the cup, He gave thanks, gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. Nothing new whatsoever from what would have been happening in the Passover meals in Jerusalem for hundreds of years all the way up to that time. It was a pass Passover season. They were eating the Passover meal. And when Jesus took that cup right here and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, that right there is a part of the Passover meal. In fact, there was more than one cup in the Passover meal. So this is nothing new to them. Okay, I want you to understand this. He is not calling this the Lord's Supper. 
It is a Passover meal. The only thing that's new is he says the bread. He said, this is my body. And now, the only thing new he says, he says he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant. That would have got their attention. Because instead of that, kept representing the blood of an old covenant. Instead of that, kept representing the blood of an animal. Jesus said, it represents my blood. Do you get that? Okay? Now Lotus, he keeps on, he keeps on speaking. He said, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Right? Praise the Lord. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Now, so when... When the bread is tore, I believe of all the in Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter 22, where the same event is recorded, very similar in wording. I'm only looking at Matthew 26 tonight. It doesn't say that the disciples got it and understood that it meant Jesus' death. But but I believe that they did understand. When he said, This is my body, and he tears it, that there was some understanding that. It meant that Jesus was going to die a horrific death, like the tearing of his body. Amen. And when he said, talking about the cup, normal Passover cup, now he said, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant for the remission of sins. They had to put it together when he said, it's my blood. So like the Passover lamb was slain. And the blood of the Passover uh, lamb, amen, not spilt, but was shed. They had to be able to put two and two together. The death of a lamb and the shedding of the blood of the lamb. But Jesus is saying it's Him. It's His body and it's His blood. So now, from this day forward, you are to remember me, not a lamb. You are to remember me. Amen. You are to understand that you're enter, you have entered into a new covenant with me. Okay? Do you understand? So they're observing an old covenant. But Jesus says, now when you do it in the future, and you're going to do it again, you're not going to focus on an animal. And you're not going to focus on an animal's blood. And you're not going to focus on an old covenant. You're going to focus on my blood. Jesus' blood. And you're going to focus on a new covenant. Does that make sense? If it does, say praise the Lord. Now. So he, he, he does not institute the Lord's Supper. What he does is he takes a Passover meal and shows a connection to the Passover meal but brings you into reality or fulfillment days of which the, the type only pointed to him. Does that make sense? Say praise the Lord. Now, let's go over the end. If that's the case, for us to understand what this meal uh, 
the Passover meal represented. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Do you understand what I just said to you? Okay. So when we get to uh, the Lord's Supper, in a sense, it is, it is a continuation of the Passover meal. But it's in fulfillment level. It's about Jesus. So when we take the Lord's Supper, unlike the disciples, we, we understand completely. We're not thinking about the Passover lamb and the blood that was shed of the Passover lamb and the Old Covenant and the Old Covenant blood. When we get together, what is our focus? Our focus is the blood of the true Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. What is our focus? Not an old covenant, but a new covenant focus. Say praise the Lord. All right, all right, all right. But because the disciples and Jesus were, you know, celebrating the Passover, we have the link, the link there. Okay, let's go to Exodus chapter 12. And we preached on the blood Sunday night. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Now I can get up here and I can shout about the blood of an animal. I can shout about the blood of the Passover lamb. I can shout about the blood of the old covenant. What's going to happen? But when we get up here and we shout about the blood of the new covenant for, that, that is given for the remission of sin, we shout about the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. We know there's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power in a new covenant meal. Amen. Now, so when I take that, I take those elements, does it literally turn into the body and blood of Jesus? He said, this is my body and this is my blood. Again, he's sitting there with them. So how could it be literal and physical? Let's go to the book of Exodus in the 12th chapter and let's see what God calls it. That meal. Amen. Called the Passover meal, which is fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 11. Let's start there. 12, 11. Thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet. You can read the whole chapter when you have time, okay? Your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's, what? Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment I am the Lord or I am Yahweh Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh and the blood shall be to you for a token or a sign what is it what is the blood signifying what is it what is the the, uh, the sign or the token of the blood it's a sign of salvation. Do you understand that? Okay. So he says, as we read, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial do you see that it is a memorial so that when your children when y'all are pre new covenant days in the old covenant days when they observe the Passover meal it's a memorial so your children say what are we doing here 
and you'll and, and and it gives the parents the opportunity to tell them the Lord saved us by the blood. He redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb out of the land of bondage, out of the land of sinners, out of idolatry. Amen. So it was a what? A memorial. It was symbolic. It was representative. Amen. Are y'all here? Yes, they obeyed it. All right. Do you understand that? Okay. So let's read over a little further in the 12th chapter. In verse 24. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance. It's not called a sacrament in either places. It's called an ordinance. Say an ordinance. Again, take the same thing. Symbolic. Representative. It's a type. Hallelujah. You get the you get you understand it. Okay. So it is, you are going to observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. It shall come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt. When he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, then the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. So when they took that meal, it was to teach them about how the Lord had saved. It was to teach them. It was a sign. God called it a sign of salvation. Amen? Praise the Lord. Again, so it's an ordinance. It was a memorial memorializing what Jesus did or what God did through the Passover lamb, the blood. Is everybody with me up to this point? So in Matthew 26 then, when Jesus is celebrating the Passover, it is a ordinance. It is a memorial. And, and He takes them beyond that old covenant blood and an animal's blood and says it's the blood of the new covenant. And this, are you with me, is my body. It's symbolic of His body. Representative memorial of His body. Say praise the Lord tonight. But they did not get up from that table that night thinking that the Lord has started something brand new. They didn't get up from that table thinking, well, we, the Lord just set up the Lord's Supper tonight. No. They got up from that table just like they had always done from a Passover meal and, and understood. We took bread like we always do. We took the cup of the Passover like we always do. But what was different was the Lord said our focus is to be upon Him and not a lamb. Not an animal. On His blood. Not the blood. Hallelujah. And the breaking or the tearing of that bread represents the death of Jesus in some horrific way. And the shedding of His blood would bring in a new covenant. That's what they got up understanding. Not that the Lord has started a new institution on that night. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Alright, let's go to the book of Acts. Obviously, Matthew 26, you go read Mark 14, Luke 22, same passage, very similar in what Jesus did. Okay, I want you to understand this. 
in the book of Acts then, in the early church, did they observe the Lord's Supper? What you call and what I call the Lord's Supper. Did they observe it? Well, it's real quiet in here. Well, let's look at a couple of passages in Acts chapter 2. Verse 46. Obviously, in Acts chapter 2, this is about a month and a half after Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay? It's, it's uh, after Pentecost or at the time of Pentecost. So that's about a month and a half. Pente means 50. 50 days after the resurrection. Okay? So it's about a month and a half or so after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we come to this passage in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible tells us, if you look in verse 46, some practices of the early church. The Bible says, And they continued daily with one accord, say one accord, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Go to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 11, now remember when the young man fell out of the window? Paul was, because Paul was long preaching. He, he got tired, you know. And he fell out of the window, praise the Lord, as Paul was long preaching. Now, I will tell you this, when I get long, and I've said this before, but if I get long preaching, make sure you're leaning the right direction. If you go to sleep, make sure you're leaning toward the church. Don't, make, don't lean outside, because if you're leaning outside the church, you're liable to get hurt. Because he was leaning in the wrong direction, he fell out and he died. So if you go to sleep on me tonight, I don't have any problem with that. But just make sure you're leaning the right direction. Y'all know. So you remember the story. When Eutychus fell out of the window? Yeah. But verse 11, When he therefore was come up again and had broken, uh, broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. The man, you know, Paul went down and um, he was raised from the dead. But the Bible says that Paul went back up there and they broke bread. In Acts 2.46 it says, they, they broke bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness. It could mean that they were taking what we call the Lord's Supper. But I want you to understand something tonight that we're reading into the text to dogmatically say that when it says they were breaking bread, that they were taking the Lord's Supper. We're reading into the text. Now, I'm going to use a big word on you. There is absolutely no lexical proof, no biblical dictionaries, alright? No dictionaries that define breaking bread as taking what we call the Lord's Supper. And there's no cultural proof. 
that tells us that the passage means taking the Lord's Supper. It's possible. But this is something they did all the time. The church would go, they would meet together, they would have fellowship, they would break bread, they would eat. They would have meals together. Okay? So breaking bread can simply mean eating meals together. Praise the Lord. It might mean the Lord's Supper. Okay? But it could also mean that they were feeding on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the true bread. It's the bread of God, man. Do you understand that? So I, what I'm trying to show you, as far as the book of Acts is concerned, we only have two places where you could possibly say that that early church observed the Lord's Supper and we have no proof that that's what they were doing at all. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying when it comes to the Lord's Supper, you got Matthew 26, you got Mark 14, you got Luke 22, you got Acts chapter 2 verse 46, and Acts chapter 20 and verse 11, and 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 11, and that's all you have in your New Testament Bible that teaches on the Lord's Supper. What am I saying? When those disciples got up from that Passover meal, the, the, the things that were new to them were, the next time you do this, the next time you have your Passover meal, remember the blood of Jesus. Remember the new covenant. That's what they had. Amen? Are y'all with me? So were they observing what we call the Lord's Supper in the book of Acts? I'm trying to show you that very little is said in the New Testament about the Lord's Supper. As far as Scripture is concerned. Amen. But we have enough. We have enough, don't we? Okay. Are you all all right out there? If you are, say praise the Lord. Okay, well, let's look at another passage here in John chapter 6. In verse 47. This is so important. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Have what? Everlasting life. He said, I'm the bread of life. Uh-oh. Did Jesus just say He's the bread of life? Yes, He did. Okay. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. So they ate the, the bread and they died. But there's a living bread. He said, I am the bread of life. And there's a living bread that we participate in. Which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live for what? Ever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews thereof strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? Then Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Well, some people take that passage and say, Look, there's the Lord's Supper. That when you take the Lord's Supper, you are ingesting His body and ingesting His blood in a literal way. Is that what, he, is that what Jesus is teaching there? 
No, that's not what Jesus is teaching there. Let me read it to you again. Verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. What is Jesus saying here? What does he mean? I'm telling you that this has been applied to the Lord's Supper that you are literally eating Him and, and drinking Him at that table. Let's see what Jesus says. Verse 57. What does it mean? He explains it to us Himself. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Jesus just explained that very difficult passage about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. He said, the way that I depend on the Father is the way you are to depend on Me. It has nothing to do with eating the body or drinking the blood of Jesus in a literal way. It means depending on Jesus as He depends on the Father. Well, He is God. He is God. Alright. Now, some of you don't even have time to listen, but... God bless you anyway. I love you for being here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <coughs> okay, so at this point then, I believe that the Word of God is very clear that the elements of the bread and the fruit of the vine are symbolic. They represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And when we receive it, we are to remember His blood, not the blood of an animal. We are to remember the new covenant that He set up for us and the victory He won for us. Amen? Amen. So when we take it, we are renewing the covenant. But there's something that we need to see that maybe you haven't seen before. When you get to Corinthians, now we see Paul is, if you will, instituting what he calls the Lord's Supper. Interesting. I'll say it again. Now Paul calls this supper that we take the Lord's Supper. It wasn't called that in the Gospels. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. It wasn't called that. Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 46. Acts chapter 20 and verse 11. It wasn't called that. Amen? And we're not even sure that they even observed it in the early church. But you get into the Corinthian church and the days of Paul. Now, okay. Question for you today. Alright? When was Matthew written? When was the Gospel of Matthew written? It was written around 65 A.D. So chronologically, as far as the writing of the book is concerned, you have Exodus chapter 12, the Passover. Amen? You have Acts, chapter, Acts 2 and Acts 20, which definitely happened before the Corinthians, as far as writing is concerned. And then... The book of Corinthians was written before Matthew was even written. So, it's possible the church didn't even know about observing a supper called the Lord's Supper. Do you understand what I'm telling you? 
It wasn't until 65 A.D. after, amen, Exodus 12, after Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and after 1 Corinthians was written that, that Matthew gives them the gospel, amen, about what Jesus did on that night, the last Passover before He died. Do you hear what I'm saying? So what is the, is the ultimate meaning of this supper that we take? Yes, it is to remember that when we take that bread and we tear it, it represents Jesus' body that was torn and how He died a violent death on the cross. When we take the fruit of the vine, yes, we are remembering the blood of Jesus that was shed for us for the remission of sins. And we um, are celebrating the new covenant. Yes. Okay. But look what Paul says. Look how Paul uses it. He uses it totally different. Okay? Now, what I'm about to say to you is so important, it's probably going to save your life. So I want you to hear me. I know I've been teaching you up to this point. But what I'm about to say to you could save your life. Not that when you take the Lord's Supper that it's imparting forgiveness of sin or giving forgiveness of sins to you at that time. Alright? But... You understand who the Corinthian church is, correct? We taught you the book of Corinthians. It was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Okay? That had been brought into one body of Christ. What is the problem with the Corinthian church? They won't grow up. They're immature believers. Full of division. Amen? Amen? Paul has already made reference to it in the first chapter of the Corinthians. He tells them there's division among you. And, and he goes on and he gives an example. Somebody says, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And others say, I'm of Jesus. Well, Paul, Amen, uh, Peter, so on. They're just servants of God. They're just ministers of the Gospel. But these people had... Um, yeah, you got it. They were clicking. <laughs> they were clicking. And, and they had started divisions in their church based on who their favorite preacher was. So the church is full of division. It's a mess. Amen? You know it. Now they have the gift of the Spirit operating in their midst. We know by the Scripture that they were, uh, amen, baptized in Jesus' name. They are a New Testament body, but it's full of division. Amen? So Paul, I want you to see how Paul uses the Lord's Supper. He uses it to teach you about you. He talks about the body of Jesus, but he makes reference to the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, I'm looking at you. 
He's telling the church in Corinth, you are the Christos. You are the anointed body of Christ. Not the body of Jesus. The body of Christ. Now listen to me carefully. Now, so Paul, you know, he, he notices when he goes to Corinth, he sees a cultural practice that they practice. Where they have what's called Roman dinner parties. How many of y'all ever had a dinner party? You know what a dinner party is? Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all are the most partying church I've ever been around in my life. I, Hispanics just love to party. Y'all are teaching me how to party. I wouldn't know how to party if it wasn't for you guys. You know how to party, man. You can raise up a party and tear it down faster than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I told Brother Daniel, I said, I think it comes from practice in those old days when you're looking at the window and OPD drives up. Tear it down! Get rid of it! There's got to be something to this. How fast y'all can throw up a party and how fast you can tear it down. It's got to go back to the old days. But you guys know how to party. And so Paul, when he walked into the church, he walked into Corinth and he saw a dinner party where people got together and they had a meal together. Amen. And when he saw this, gathering together of people eating a meal together, ah, he said, I can use this to teach them that. Woo! Give God praise. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, are y'all with me? Verse 15, I speak to you as wise men. You know he's being as sarcastic as he can possibly be. No, I mean that. But but I guess if you want to get somebody's attention and they're they're not so wise, you just talk about how wise they are. Oh yeah, that's me. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, Paul had all kinds of problems with this church. All kinds. They they doubted, they questioned his apostleship, man. There's division in the house, division in the church. They fussing and fighting. All kinds of insanity going on. But when he sees them having that Roman dinner party, a cultural dinner, something clicks in his mind. And the anointing of the Spirit of God comes upon him and gives Paul a revelation of the Lord's Supper. Are you all with me here? So in verse chapter 10 and verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Do you see that? So here he talks about the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The, commun- the word communion means fellowship. It's from the Greek word koinonia. It means to participate. So he says, when, when, okay, you with me? Now he taught them. He had taught them about that meal that Jesus had in Matthew 26. They knew the, the teaching. So he said, the cup that we're blessing, are y'all with me? He said, it's communion or it's participation, right? Of the blood of Christ. And then he says, the bread which we break, 
Is it not the communion or fellowship or participation of the body of Christ? Woo! Now, are y'all with me? Verse 17, For we being many are one bread and one body. So now he says, You are the bread. You are one body, not divided. One body. You are one bread and you are one body. Right? So he talked about how they fellowship, participate, amen, in the communion of the blood of of Jesus, of Christ. But they didn't talk about the fellowship that they have with each other in the body. Correct? And he said, you are that one bread and you are that one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. You see, the focus is the unity of the church. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Alright, verse 17. Now Paul's, he's a good spiritual father. And he knows he's already made reference to the divisions that are in the midst of them, so on and so forth. Now you've got to catch that. He's already, in First Corinthians chapter 10, the focus is one bread, one body. Unity in the church. Now, obviously we don't have that in the Corinthian church. We don't have unity. We got the gifts of the Spirit. But we don't have unity. We got division in that church. We have got a mess. Alright? In the church. Okay? Now watch this. So Paul, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, he's got to straighten some things out concerning that. So we already have Bible for calling it what? Communion. Fellowship. Participation. Correct? Yes, it, it, it puts our focus on Jesus, what He did for us. Okay? But then He says, let me also show you is to teach you about the church. The unity that should be in the church. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. Let's just start there. For first of all, now let's start in 17. Look at it. I wish we had time to read all of it, but you read it on your own. Now, in this he said that I declare to you, I praise you not that you come together, not for better, but for worse. He said, it, it's such a mess in Corinth. He said, I'm not telling you it would be even better for you to meet. He said, it might be better for you not even to assemble. There's that, it's that much, it's, there's that much division in the church. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. That, that's tongue in cheek right there. When he says, I partly believe it, he don't just partly believe it, he knows it. So he talks about the division that's in the church. Verse 19, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Verse 20. Alright, so he talks about even there's heresies in the church. Verse 20, When you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. 
He said, this isn't the right way you do it. He said, you're, 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 you're partaking of the Lord's Supper the wrong way. Wow. Now we see here, the biblical term Lord's Supper is used. It wasn't used in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, Acts 2.46, Acts 20, verse 11. It was not used in any of those passages. It is not until you get to the, the book of Corinthians that is called the Lord's Supper. So in your Bibles, when you read Matthew 26 or Mark 14 and Luke 22 and it says Lord's Supper over the heading, just get a pen and mark it out. They were observing a Passover meal. And Jesus shifted their focus from the blood of an animal to His blood, from the old covenant to a new covenant. He shifted the focus from deliverance out of Egypt in a physical way. He's letting them know you're going to be delivered from sin and sinners and idolatry, but Rome's still going to rule. I'm not going to take you out of Rome. So it wasn't an institution of the Lord's Supper, okay? Now, so Paul calls it the Lord's Supper and he calls it the communion. Verse 21. He said, this is what's happening when you get together. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry and another is drunken. Now these are known as the agape feast. The love feast. So the church will get together. We have these, don't we? Where we get together and we have meals together. We could call them love feasts. Supposed to be time of fellowship, enjoying each other. Correct? Okay. Associated with the agape feast or the love feast, where they just had a, 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 a meal together. Associated with that, they would take the Lord's Supper. Alright? So Paul says, when... When you get together and you're going to eat this meal together, you're going to have a, a hallelujah. You're going to have it's something like a Roman dinner party. But it's a church party, church dinner party. Hallelujah. And you're sitting down. You're supposed to enjoy each other. Supposed to enjoy each other's company. Talk about the, the victory of Jesus. The victory of the new covenant. Talk about what Jesus has done for you when you're sitting down. He said, but instead, you get together. You know, for in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. So you know, hallelujah, it's supposed to be a love feast, a, a time of fellowship with each other, enjoying the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come here, man. Come here, come stand right there. And this man, he's standing at he's gonna get his dinner. He's gonna get his chicken leg. And he's gonna get his mashed taters. And all of a sudden, somebody in church says, No, 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 I'm going first. Get, let me get my food. Go ahead. Amen. And and hey, by the way, anyway, you know. Uh, I don't want to sit over here with these poor people, you know. I'm going to sit over here with the rich people. And hallelujah. It's just a, you know, just a total mess, you know, where, where maybe the poor were neglected and, and so on and so forth. Just, just a mess. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is what? Drunken. 
it got so bad in that church, they were pushing each other out of the way to get their food. Amen. And, and, and some people weren't getting anything to eat. And the, uh, Brother Joe got over here, he got a plate this full of food. And the poor brother sitting over in the corner, he looking over there, he doesn't have anything because there's nothing left because Joe's got it all. And that poor brother, he's hungry. Joe's over here, man, he just chowing down, having a good time. And not only is he eating to the full and this other guy's hungry, but Joe's drinking himself drunk. Praise the Lord. Verse 22, What? Have you not homes to eat in and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not the poor? You shame them that have not? He's talking about the poor. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise ye not. He said it would be better for you to eat your sandwich at home before you came. Have your meal at home. If you're going to act like that when you come to church, just eat eat before you come. Look at your name and say, eat before you come. You're going to act like that. Verse 23. He seizes upon the opportunity to take to teach on the Lord's Supper. What is called the Lord's Supper here. He said, verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. Again, not a lamb, not the blood of an animal. Not an old covenant. When you do this, observing the Passover meal, remember me. It's a memorial. Verse 25, After the same manner also, He took the cup. When He had supped, saying, This is the cup of the what? New covenant in My blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of Me. It's a memorial. Right? Now notice. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. Amen? You do show the Lord's death till He come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, that means wrong. You, you do it wrong. Unworthily means wrong. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let him examine himself and, and we think, and we, we take that to mean that before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to make sure we repent of all our sins. And that's good. We need to do that. But when he talks about let us examine ourselves, it's not necessarily saying confessing your sin. It's how are you in relationship to the body of Christ, the church? Amen? Are y'all with me here? Now watch.
But let, him, let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily or wrong, eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Do you see that? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's already said that you are, you are the body of Christ. So when he's, some people will take that to mean, well, you're not discerning that this is literally the body of Jesus and literally the blood. No, you're reading into the text. He says you're not discerning the Lord's body. He's talking about the Christos, the church. The context, look at it. They're fussing and fighting with each other. There's division among them. He said this shouldn't be happening. This mess, this uh, division that's in the church. Amen? But it's going on. And you need to examine yourself. You need to discern the Lord's body. Notice. He said, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. They're dead. For if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. See, he's talking about the body of Christ. Tarry for one another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home that you come not together unto condemnation and the rest will I set in order when I come. He said, now I'm going to give you what you need to do to make this right. You're celebrating it the wrong way. I'm going to tell you how to celebrate it the right way. He said, but there's some things I'm going to have to straighten up when I get there. Okay? You know? You know, it's like, like somebody tells you, when Grandpa gets home, you better watch out. You know, you better correct yourself right now, but when Grandpa gets home, he's going to take care of the rest of you. So basically what Paul is saying is this, I'm showing you how to do it the right way, but when I get there, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to part your hair. I'm going to straighten it out. Say amen. And he's got to have apostolic authority to do it. The rest will I set in order when I come. These are very strong words, by the way. Okay. Are you all with me? All right. We've been baptized into the body of Christ, right? Look at chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink in one Spirit. Now obviously there are times when he's talking about the body of Jesus, but he's showing you the body of Christ the church. Now what's the point? When we take the Lord's Supper, then according to Paul's teaching, Yes, we remember what Jesus did for us in establishing the new covenant. And we celebrate the new covenant. But there is a further teaching that Paul is saying here that this represents the church. That that bread that we take when we have it up here and we distribute it, that bread that we take and that, that fruit of the vine that we take, yes, it represents the body of Jesus, but it also represents the body of Christ which is the church. 
Now, now, how is that connected? The body of Christ, how is that connected to the death of Jesus? How do we remember His death? Amen. And see it in the body. Because we understand. Let's go to the Gospel of John. And I'm almost done. He said, see, Paul said this, if you don't get this right, he said, there's many people that are sick. He said, there's some people that are dead over this. It's that serious. Okay, go to John. John chapter 11. Please turn there. I'll start with verse 49. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. This spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. So a man that's not qualified to even prophesy, he is as corrupt as he can be, is used by God to give a prophetic word. He said that Jesus, when He dies, He's going to die for the nation. So what we have connected to the death of Jesus is the gathering of people. Wow. Do you understand that? So that when Jesus dies, the purpose of His death, yes, we understand forgiveness of sin and eternal life. But one of the major reasons for Jesus dying is so that you and I could gather tonight as one. So that there would be unity within the church and so that when people walk through those doors, instead of seeing a mess and confusion and division, fussing and fighting, and all kinds of problems in the church, when they come in and they see us as one, we are teaching them what Jesus' death means. His death was to bring unity to His body. And if they come in to your church and they see fussing and fighting and division and all kinds of carnality in your midst, they're going to go away from there saying, that's a mess. And it dishonors the death of Jesus. Because it does not teach the correct message. And that message is why He died is so that we could have unity. And if there is not unity in our church tonight, if nothing but carnality, fussing and fighting and divisions among us, when people walk through that door and they see this mess, 
It's teaching them the wrong message about the death of Jesus. But when they walk through that door and they see people loving each other, they see people celebrating the new covenant that they're in, they see people celebrating Jesus. That tells them the reason why he died was for the gathering of the people. Jesus, put your hands and give him praise. You understand it now. And no wonder such a severe judgment would come upon those people who were creating division in the church because it was teaching a message that was contrary to the reason for why Jesus died. And that's why I tell you today, we can have the gifts of the Spirit operating in our church. We can be water baptized in Jesus' name. But if there is division division in our midst, all manner of confusion, just nothing but a mess, everybody that's going to walk through those doors is going to look at this. And we can talk about how spiritual are because we're, we you, we got prophets and apostles and we got the gifts of the Spirit here. We can talk about how spiritual we are. But if we don't stop fussing and we don't stop fighting and we don't and we don't get rid of the division that's in the midst of this church, we are dishonoring the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is so serious to God. He said, some people have died. Do you understand that? Because we're sending the wrong message to the world. And we talk about a crucified Jesus. Dead, buried, risen from the dead, ascended. We preach Him. Hey, the world should see what that produced. What that produced is one bread, one body, a church in love with each other, a church in unity. And if they don't see it, they're getting the wrong message about Jesus. Not just about you or just about me, but about Jesus. And I love every one of you tonight. But it's time for us to mature. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to get unity. And it starts with you on an individual basis. It starts with me on an individual basis. Stop trying to fight for your own cause. Stop, hallelujah, stop putting yourself on the pedestal. It's all about Jesus Christ. So what we do when we take... Let me, let me say this to you. The Lord's Supper, we take the Lord's Supper. There's no more presence of Jesus in the, the Lord's Supper than when we worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's no more presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper than when you read your Bible at home. There's no more presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Hallelujah. Than there is when you're praying on your knees to Him. Paul is saying it's about recognizing the death of Jesus. What the purpose of it was to bring a body in unity.
in love with each other. And when you get together, you are to celebrate the victory that Jesus won on Calvary by bringing you from all walks of life different cultures different backgrounds but when you come into that church and you get born again of the water and the spirit and you become a part of the body of Christ having been baptized by his spirit into that one body and we live in unity and we take that supper and we're celebrating the new covenant we're celebrating the victory that Jesus has brought. Because I promise to you tonight, if it wasn't for Jesus, who is the head of the body of the church, nobody in here would get along. In fact, before you got in the church, some of y'all were in gangs against each other. And then all of a sudden you come in the church and you're over here hugging each other, loving on each other, giving each other a holy kiss in the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. And we didn't even have to check you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, now, do you think, hallelujah, that, that you would want to even spend, would you even want to spend one minute with the person sitting next to you if it wasn't for Jesus? Amen? But Jesus! When we take that supper, we're saying to the world, we are the reason why He died. That we could be one body and one bread. And so Paul is taking that cultural dinner party that they would celebrate and say, when you get together and you're fellowshipping, Talk about the goodness of God. Talk about what Jesus has done for you. Amen. Celebrate the new covenant, the victories that He's won. Don't get together and fuss and fight and push each other out of the way. Thinking you're better than anybody else. Do you understand the Word of the Lord? If you do, give Him a hand clap of praise. So we have to discern the Lord's body. Why Jesus died. I'm looking at you. Amen. Are you glad to be in fellowship with not, not only the blood of Christ, but the body of Christ in fellowship, communion. Amen. That's what we're saying. All right. So Paul, he had to correct the problem. He says, you're doing it all wrong. And we've got to change it. I'll show you how to do it the right way. And understand why you're doing it. Is to declare what Jesus Christ did for us on that old rugged cross. Hallelujah. Now hold on just a minute. When he tore that bread, it represented the violent death he would die. But just the opposite takes place when we gather. Not the tearing of a body. But because of the tearing of His body, He brought us together.
We are remembering him when we come together. We're putting him back together. We're not tearing him apart. We are remembering him. I beseech you by the mercies of God, church, tonight that we hear what Paul said to the church of Corinth and that we live as one body. Amen? That there be unity in our midst so that when the world comes and sees us, they will see the right message and the reason why He died. Is there anybody here today that need to make some changes? And I'm not asking you to come to an altar. I'm talking about in your life. You're you're over here doing your own thing. You're running your own show. and You're all over the place. And you don't take into consideration the body of Christ that you're affecting. Or you come to a pew, to a church service, and you sit in your pew isolated from the rest of the body. You are saying to the world, that Jesus died for a mess. By the word of the Lord tonight, I call this church, I call myself, I call my family, I call this church to a place of repentance. Amen? And I do believe that we're under spiritual attack, but I'm going to tell you something. Our, our great struggle is not, not only out there in the invisible world. Our great struggle is the fussing and fighting and the division that's among us. Jesus died for me. He died for you. How many you want to demonstrate to the world? You want to, you want to send the right message to the world. Amen? So when we take the Lord's Supper then, it's memorial. Amen? It represents, it's an ordinance, it's symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus. But it is a picture of the church. And the reason why He died is to bring us in oneness. And when we get together and we take it the right way, I do believe by the Holy Ghost that is inside of every one of you, that there is a strength that comes to the inner man. And I do believe by the release of God's anointing, by His Spirit, there is healing that takes place in your body. But let Jesus be exalted. Let Jesus be glorified in this church. Not just when we take the Lord's Supper. But in our life as a church. Please sit down. I'm going to read a few things and I'm going to let you go. Beyond the be, uh, writings concerning the early church on the Lord's Supper show this, this very focus, alright? This, this writing is called the Didache. Say with me, Didache. It's supposed to be a, a manual for the early church. And I'm talking about 95 to 100 A.D. And this is what they said. They prayed a prayer as they assembled to take the Lord's Supper. And I want you to listen to the focus of that church manual of the early church. The term Eucharist is not in the Bible. It's used here in the early church writings, which simply means thanksgiving. Say thanksgiving. 
So now concerning the Eucharist, give thanks as follows. First, concerning the cup. We give you thanks, O our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. And concerning the broken bread, we give you thanks, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be glory forever. Just as the broken bread was scattered upon the mountains and then was gathered together and became one, so may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. So they show in that prayer, they said just like that, those little pieces of wheat scattered all over the mountains were gathered together, those different pieces of wheat gathered together into one bread. He said, let that be the church. Let the church become one. The fifth thing, but let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist except those who have been baptized in the name of the Lord. For the Lord has also spoken concerning this. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Amen. That is an early church manual. Okay? And that is what we practice. We, don't, we do not administer the Lord's Supper to people who are not yet baptized in Jesus' name. That is in the early church manual. Did you notice what it says? It did not say who's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The early church manual says, but let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist except those who have been baptized into the, into the name of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. This is uh, Justin Martyr on apologetics uh, on the Eucharist. He says this, This food is called among us the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake, but the man who believes that the things which we teach are true and who has been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins and unto regeneration and who is so living as Christ has Enjoy. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Ignatius of Antioch, writing to the two, it's the epistle to the Philadelphians. He says this, Take care, therefore, to participate in one Eucharist, for there is one flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ and one cup, which leads to unity through His blood. There is one altar, just as there is one bishop, together with the presbytery and the deacons, my fellow servants, in order that whatever you do, you do in accordance with God. It's supposed to lead to unity through His blood. So I pray tonight that this has been very helpful to you. Amen. And I'm just, and I love you, I love you, I love you. But I'm going to tell you something, church. 
we need to change. And I'm willing to change as your pastor. I'm willing to change where I need to change. But we need to change. Because the, the unity that should be in the church of Jesus Christ, amen, needs to be seen. And when people come in here, I want to tell you something. The, this building right here will not hold the souls that will be one to Jesus Christ if this church ever gets in unity. The only thing that has hindered this church from having revival that will exceed the dimensions of this building is a lack of unity. Amen? So let's start celebrating the new covenant. Let's celebrate the victory that Jesus has won and what He's done. And let's start living like we are the one body of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. And you can do that tonight without even coming to an altar. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand. Father God, we stand before You tonight and we thank You today for what You've done for us on the cross, Jesus. That You died for us and You shed Your blood for us. We ask God today, forgive us of division. Forgive us of our carnality. Forgive us, Lord, we pray for not sending the right message about Your death. Father God, we pray that You make us one through Your blood. Let there be unity in this church, God, like never before. Let us celebrate the new covenant and the victories You've won as we gather together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now in closing, I do want to encourage you though. There, there are so many things good in you. You do love each other. And that's seen how you minister to each other and how you try to help each other in their need. Amen? But if there is any gossip here tonight against your brothers or your sisters, that is division. Lord Jesus, tonight I pray over this church. God, remove any, any, any gossip. Remove the eggs of the cockatrice from our midst. Lord, I thank You for this body. I thank You for this church. I thank You for this house. Lord, I believe God by the teaching of the Word of the Lord that You will accomplish this reality by Your teaching and by Your anointing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Now here's the good news. I'm going to let you go, but this is coming into my spirit, so I'm going to share it with you. One of God has shared with us vision that the Lord showed her about the church and she said there there is in this church there are people who are completely clean completely clean she said the Lord showed her there are people in this church who have spots in them 
And she said, the Lord showed her that in this church there are people that are here that are black. And so I said to her, does that mean that the ones that are black can't be saved? She said, no. She said, through the preaching of the Word and the anointing of the Spirit, those that are black and those that are spotted can be brought into a place where they are completely white. Hallelujah. So Lord, I give you praise today that by your Word and by your Spirit, oh God, you're going to do a work in this church in this last day, God. You're going to bring everybody in this body, including myself, to a place where there are no spots. Give the Lord a hand clap. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. God is able. He's able. He's able. So I pray tonight this has been a blessing to you. I want it to be a blessing to you. Amen. Because God is good. He's been good to me. Amen. He's been good to me. I'm glad I'm a part of the body of Christ. Amen. Not just that I'm saved and going to heaven, but I'm a part of a body called the body of Christ. So let us function one by one as the pieces of wheat that were scattered all over the mountains were brought together as one into one bread. Let us be those people that were like the wheat and scattered in various pieces that have come together and have become one bread in Jesus Christ. Lift your hands and give God the praise and the glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. We're thankful tonight for the truth. God, because the truth makes us free. We give you all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name. Go to somebody and tell them you love them tonight. In the Lord. And tell them you're going to pray for unity in the church.